Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shammet Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion, Shoftim, the relevant lesson of the song David Melech Yisrael. Do you remember the song David Melech Yisrael Chai Chai V'Kayam? Oh yeah, I can still sing right. it in my head. Okay. I'm not going to weigh in right now. It's too early right. in the morning for me to start singing, if you don't mind. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. And I will do, I will do you the same, the same favor. But it's a really kind of an interesting prayer or song or statement. And I never really thought about it until I read something that Rabbi Mir Soloveitchik wrote in a new book of his called Providence and Power. And it's, he's a very interesting guy talking about ideas of Jewish leadership. But what he notes is that when you say David Melech Yisrael Chai Chai V'Kayam, what you're saying is David, King of Israel, lives and endures. Right? It's not like he lived, but it's as if he is living. And the idea, in a sense, is that it is the responsibility of Jewish leaders to emulate him so that his approach uh, to leadership can live on. And the manner in which kingship was understood or leadership was understood for David should apply today. And I think that's a very interesting idea that some people look back at their history, you know, as markers, we're saying that our history hasn't ended. It's very much present in our own time. And so that every leader is dealing with the same kinds of issues that King David did. And we can learn from him so that um, and make choices based upon his that can help guide us. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it, my, I have to tell you that my initial gut reaction when I hear the word king is a negative one, except for Martin Luther King. But kings as in royalty, um, because I think of them as being oligarchs, as being these these all powerful figures, as being these great accumulators of wealth and power, and and maybe I'm biased because um, we tend to think of of monarchs as imperialists and people who accumulate vast wealth, and and maybe uh, that's biased by you know recent history, and and maybe I shouldn't be that way. Maybe I should think back on the on the way in which you know King David lives on, as you suggest. Well. I think that the thing that I haven't mentioned is that kingship is the folk is one of the foci of this week's Torah reading. And what's fascinating about it is that kingship, first of all, kingship from the Torah's point of view is a concession to the Israelites. They know they don't want to be ruled by God alone. They want to have, they want to be like the other nations in a way, and they want to have a central authority. They want to have a king. And the Torah then warns them about kings who, you know, amass wealth, amass an army, kings who believe that they are above the law of the people. And so the Torah is very clear that the king is an Israelite and that ultimately God is the ultimate authority. And so going back to King David, you see that there's one scene in his life after he sees Bathsheba, you know, sunbathing on the roof of her home, and he inquires about her and then finds out that she's married, sends his husband off to war 
and basically has him killed so that he can take her as his wife. This is, by the way, how kings in that era functioned. So, you know, they could do what they wanted. Although, but in this case, something happens that wouldn't normally happen in the ancient world. And that is that a prophet walks into the palace and says to King, and, and castigates him. He offers a parable, kind of sets him up, but then castigates David in front of the entire court, as if to say, you are not above the law. You are not a god. You are not above God. And I think that that is such a that that is such a unique idea in the annals of history that that a king is a ruler has responsibilities as a statesman and maybe as a military leader, but also has to live as a moral guide. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. It's a great uh, reminder because it seems to me that one of the real themes of history is that people uh, in power like to keep power. You know, as Mel Brooks reminds us, it's good to be king. And, and that leads to all kinds of problems because people will go to desperate measures. They'll forget about their call to justice. They'll forget about the fact that they're supposed to be presenting people. They forget about the fact that they're supposed to be humble in the eyes of God. And they think that it is in their country's interest for them to retain power in unjust ways. I think that's exactly right. And isn't it interesting that the name of the portion that's ultimately going to deal with kings is called Shoftim, judges, right? So the whole first part of this Torah portion is not only about the appointment of judges and the importance of those choices, but the responsibility that the judges have and the people as a people have of creating a just society. And so those three words, Sedek, Sedek, Tirdof, justice, O oh justice, will you pursue that's the goal of a society. Well, now we're getting into current events, it sounds like. It does feel that way, doesn't it? Because yeah, it seems like I've read a little bit about something going on right now with judges. And rulers and with leaders. And so here in Israel, and the news is changing so fast, so we don't know exactly what the news will be when this podcast is actually played. But the reality is, is that you have this major change in how judges uh, function or the Supreme Court functions in Israel. And we don't really have time to go into all the details of that. But the vote in the Knesset is a major shift in that idea that it disempowers judges from being able to weigh in on debates in the Knesset. It opens the door to a, um, a new era where the checks and balances in the Israeli government, the Israeli government functions very different than the American government, but the checks and balances are going to be uh, diminished quite a bit. And so you have now reservists in the Israeli Air Force, the Israeli Army, who are basically saying, we're not going to show up to duty. And what, what they're saying is, it brings us back to the portion, they say, we uh, signed up to serve the kingdom not the king. That's a pretty harsh analysis of Benjamin Netanyahu, that they believe that he is acting like a king and that his coalition, which, by the way, was not a sweeping victory, but a they won by a small margin. His coalition is acting as if this is a sovereign government and that they're going to make the laws and 
There are those who are in the ultra-Orthodox community, the Haredi community, who seem to be acting as if um, the balance of power that even the Torah is talking about doesn't seem to apply to them. And it seems like one of the reasons, not the only reason, that Netanyahu and his colleagues are trying to bring about this change is that it will help them stay in power. Uh, certainly in the case of Netanyahu, there's you know some speculation that, that this will help him stay in power if he's convicted of crime. So there's a real parallel here between this and what you're talking about in this week's portion. There's a parallel in Israel. And I think that we are at the crossroads in Israel. How will Israelis focus on this idea? And by the way, I think we would be remiss if we didn't note that many, many people in Israel agree that the conversation and revisions in terms of how the Supreme Court functions in Israel are long overdue. So I don't think that's the question. I think that it's the lack of conversation. I think it's the politics of all of this, of the rush to create legislation that has really um, caught Israelis off guard and has produced these kinds of massive, massive protests, which are going to have resonance in so many ways, including perhaps the relationship between Israel and the American government, as President Biden has been making clear. So there is a lot going on there, but I guess we should also mention that this is a story that's taking place around the world. We have, and including the United States, in the um, cases against President Trump. Now, not just in the cases against President Trump, because we've seen this trend toward choosing to stay in office rather than truly representing your constituents um, for many years in American history. And we've seen the gerrymandering. We've seen elected officials knowingly carving out districts that don't represent their true population in order to make sure that the, their parties stay in office and that both parties are guilty of the same crime here. So it's putting the, the interest of their party, it's putting the interest of their own you know, well-being ahead of the interest of their constituents. And usually, as we see, you know, in Israel, we've come to a, you know, a breaking point where the people have said they, they won't take it anymore. You know, Americans are not yet there. But we've seen throughout history times when Americans did say, you know, enough is enough. We're not being heard. And the only way for us to do something now is, is to engage in massive protests. I definitely hear that. And the only thing I would say to build on this and what you were just saying is that there is a general philosophy that has taken root, which basically says what is ultimately important is that I win this election because of what I represent or who I am, right? And if I don't win this election, then this is a disaster for the country. This is the way this mm -hmm. gets set up. And I'll clean up the mess afterwards. In other words, I know that it was miserable. I have sent out all kinds of political ads that were probably not true or were defaming. But we'll figure this out later. What's ultimately important is that I win. That is exactly what the Torah is trying to move away from. That notion that it is all about me. And as you said, it's not about the country. It's not about what is in the best interest of the future of this country. And so what we're seeing in Israel, you're seeing one group making legal choices and appearing to ignore a very meaningful 
percentage of the larger population. Where is America in all of this? I don't think that the Democratic Party is America. I don't think the Republican Party is America. I think they are different leaders with different philosophies. I think America is much, something much larger, and we can't forget the concept of America. No, and I think that you know it's worth remembering the example of King David, or for that matter, George Washington, who sacrificed their own well-being, their own power, uh, to think about the long-term consequences for their people. I mean, you think about that decision that Washington made, he was basically saying, I'm not the only one who can lead. There are other people who are going to come after me who are at least as capable, maybe more capable. And that is in the best interest of the country. And to me, that may be a King David moment to, uh, to cherish. And we just need more of those, I guess I would say. Yeah, we don't see too many of them these days. Well, the Torah has something to say to us that's relevant. We begin with judges, then we move to kings. We begin with a just society and don't depend on our leaders to create the just society. But it's our responsibility to make sure that there are judges, that there is goodness and righteousness and a legal system that we can be proud of. And then, you know, and that, that also applies to our leaders as well. Thanks, Jonathan. 